Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Tonight, women for the win. <laughs> women take a commanding lead in the fight to keep their sports their own. Now, what they're asking us to do is deny the most basic of truths, man and woman. I mean, it's the essence of humanity. Riley Gaines joins us on how female college athletes have flipped the script on trans women. Border war, an inside look at the Rio Grande's island of death how the Mexican cartels transformed American soil into their own fortress and the fight to take it back. Understaffed. The army reduces the ranks of its special forces. How can we possibly be safer with fewer Green Berets? And Hillary just can't help herself. Maybe there needs to be a formal deprogramming of the cult members. Is it really a gaffe or just Democrats saying how they feel? Those mega extremists um, take their marching orders from Donald Trump. When will Democrats learn talk like this only helps Trump? Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight, female college athletes, 18, 19, 20, 21, have figured out how to succeed where Republican politicians spectacularly failed. Those female college athletes have figured out how to frame the boys can become girls and girls can become boys argument into a women's rights issue. And framing is everything, everything really, in politics. Yesterday we witnessed the entire Roanoke College women's swim team say enough something that would have never happened a couple of years ago. They would have all been branded bigots. They didn't talk about whether boys could become girls or girls could become pronouns or whatever it was. They didn't really talk about biology. They talked about fairness. They said as women, it wasn't fair to have men competing in women's sports. They cite cases like Leah Thomas, former UPenn swimmer, trans female Leah won the women's 500 meter freestyle. When she was competing as a man, she placed 65th. Or the case of a Maine cross-country runner, Soren Stark-Chessa, fifth in the women's event, 206th in the men's division. Or Thea Ryan, California track and field runner, a star, literally, in the women's division, finished second in the California State Championships. Same event, 63rd in the men. The Leah Thomas case started it all not because anybody particularly cared about women swimming, College women swimming is not exactly a spectator sport. But Riley Gaines made us care. She's the female swimmer who said Leah's championship wasn't fair, not on the issue of sexuality or trying to exclude anybody, but on something that in America we deeply believe in, and that's simply the idea of fairness, of fair play. She turned it into a woman's rights issue. 
something Joy Reid, who admittedly has had her own problems with homophobic comments, doesn't agree with. Here is Joy reacting to comments from Nikki Haley, who said the trans sports debate is a key issue this election cycle. The women's issue of our time. Okay, that was a deeply dangerous, entirely false statement from one of the Republican candidates for president, Nikki Haley. I mean, first of all, there's absolutely zero evidence that kids playing in or using the bathroom of the gender that they identify, or playing in sports or using the bathroom of the gender they identify with is responsible for a rise in, you know, teenage girls commit contemplating suicide. Again, politics is all about framing. And Give Joy credit, she was trying to frame it differently, maybe perhaps to make up for her homophobic rants of the past. Who really knows? But she appears to be on the wrong side of history, as evidenced by the Roanoke team. A lot has changed in the past couple of years. When asked, now only one in four Americans agree with Joy. Only one in four Americans say trans athletes should be able to play on the teams that match their identity. Two years ago, it was one in three that felt that way, an 8% change in just two years. It's huge. It's happened among Democrats as well. 21 states currently ban transgender athletes from competing on sports teams that don't match their birth sex. For her part, Gaines now questions why the NCAA and colleges nationwide, who seem so concerned about protecting everyone's rights, seem so unconcerned with protecting fairness for women, for half of their campus, in sports. Who considered our feelings, the feelings we felt of betrayal and belittlement and violation, and who considered our privacy and our safety and our dignity and our equal opportunities. And Riley Gaines joins us now. It's nice to see you. We appreciate the time. Now that this is framed, not as a fairness debate necessarily as much as a women's rights debate. Are we seeing a change in how it's looked at? Yeah, I think we are. I I think certainly that the tide is turning. That's what we're seeing by the Roanoke girls in general. Uh, A year and a half ago, that would not have happened. And when I say that, I mean these girls standing in unison. Uh, When myself and my competitors and my teammates went through the same situation regarding Leah Thomas, Um, We were terrified to talk about the subject. We were terrified to stand together. But what these girls from Roanoke are showing is that the tide is turning. It's what we've needed. We've needed girls Mm. to be willing to say enough is enough, roll up their sleeves and say no collectively together. And that's what these girls at Roanoke are doing. You think about the broader debate, right? And in politics, um, when you define the field of battle, you usually win the war, right, Uh, when it comes to a political issue. Now that this is framed not as what pronouns people are called, but simply on the issue of fairness of men competing in women's sports, um, is is that how this issue needs to be looked at? I mean, in regards to, I, I think that's what really shows this issue, the insanity behind this issue. Uh, Because for the longest time in regards to this debate, you know, I I think even us as conservatives, we tend to say, say, you know, people live as you want to do. You do you. But now I think we're seeing how this is infiltrating beyond just you doing you. You're demanding the language that we call you. You're demanding access into our spaces, our sports. Uh, And that's where the the line has just gone too far. And so I think the sports side of things has really opened people's eyes. 
Yeah, well, look, when you take any argument to the far end, right, is when all of a sudden things break down, right? When all of a sudden you say, okay, well, if you can change your pronoun, that means then 15-year-old boys get to change with 15-year-old girls, and suddenly the debate becomes um, a little different unless you are at the White House. Um, and this was uh, about a month and a half ago. Uh, so you may still have some work to do after this soundbite. Take a listen. Education. Daughters, does he care that girls are allowed to compete in sports without I just, fear I, of injury? Just, does he think it's fair for girls to have to compete against biological males? I just answered the question. It is a complicated issue. It is truly a complicated issue with a wide range of views, a wide range of views. There is no yes or no answer to this. I know you're going to say there is a yes or a no answer to it, uh, but I'm going to ask it a slightly different way. How much of this, and I say this because you, you make no bones about the fact that you are a conservative, how much of this should be an issue for the federal government versus for individual teams and for the girls at Roanoke and for individual sports? Look, we have Title IX, which is a beautiful 37-word federal civil rights law that prevents discrimination on the basis of sex on college campuses and within higher education. And so it's a lot broader even than just women's sports, but the, the benefits are undeniable in how it's really catapulted women's opportunities, um, again, transcending beyond just sports. But now what the federal level is doing, what the Biden administration, the people in the White House the people who lead this country, what they're doing is totally rewriting Title IX uh, to where it's now preventing discrimination on the basis of gender identity. And so they're equating sex with gender identity, which means, again, being broader than just women's sports, men would have full access to bathrooms, locker rooms, changing spaces on campus. Men could be randomly housed in dorm rooms with women. Uh, men can join sororities. Men could take academic and athletic scholarships away from women. And so that's what they're doing at the federal yeah, level. Yeah, we... we we, we, we saw, we've seen this sort of play out right in broader society. You saw down in Florida uh, a women's only tech conference that men then decided to show up and say we're nine binary so we get to come in. That didn't um, go over very well. I'm going to give you the last word here. Where does this debate go from here? I think that's what we should all be asking ourselves because it's certainly a slippery slope. Uh, you know, I, I can't possibly fathom where it goes from here because right now what they're asking us to do is deny the most basic of truths, man and woman. I mean, it's the essence of humanity. It's pretty Orwellian if you think about it. It's as if they're trying to make us say two plus two is five, and we have so many people adhering. And so um, I think a lot of people should open their eyes and ask themselves the question of what's next, because, um, I, again, I can't. Yeah, you, look, you said it yourself, the tide's starting to change now that the, now that the debate has been redefined, um, in large part because of what you did. And I said uh, before we, we talked on air, sort of the moral courage that you showed in the very beginning to stand up on this uh, and highlight the issue. Once, you, once, once it was defined as you defined it, um, the, the tide has started to turn. Riley, thank you. We appreciate the time. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you. We'll talk soon. 24 hours after President Biden announced he would build part of Mr. Trump's border wall, Mr. Biden can't win with either Republicans or Democrats. They both say he's doing the wrong thing. Here's Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I think it's a terrible idea. I think it's a broken promise. But additionally, let's say you completely disagree on this. You could build a great big Trumpy wall on the entire U.S. southern border, and it's still not going to fix this problem. 
be fair, you might need more than just a wall to stop masses of military-aged men marching across our border. The cartels that control the Mexican side of the border get paid tens of thousands of dollars per illegal immigrant to get them across. And money like that created Death Island, 170 acres in the middle of the Rio Grande River that the cartels took over. Todd Bensman himself saw it. His dramatic report on DailyMail.com describes part of America, because it is sovereign U.S. territory, taken over by the cartels and then taken back by the Texas Department of Public Safety. And Todd is with us now. Uh, Boy, what was it like out there? Well, it was really interesting because we were in the middle of a uh, we're in the middle of a uh, of a cartel uh, territory had been controlled by the cartels. These aren't your regular cartels. These are uh, paramilitaries with tanks, fully uh, automatic belt fed machine guns, uh, body armor, claymore mines, rocket propelled uh, shoulder fired uh, grenades. And uh, these are the real, real cartels and the department of public safety uh and the texas rangers were all on hand to seize that island back from them and it was really kind of a of a riskier uh mission compared to what uh texas is used to they're down there i mean texas has been down there for three years straight but they've never really kind of taken a uh you know punched a a punch in the face or you know swinging Mm. right in face like this and uh there were no incidents uh but this is going to be an ongoing operation it'll last for uh six weeks to clear all the brush uh build bunkers and fortify this island um and they're not going to uh, they're not going to leave they're going to just simply stay there uh but the problem here is that the mexican side which is not controlled by the by the government uh, is controlled by these cartels uh, is high tactically uh, and there are snipers nets nests over there and um, uh, the question here is whether or not they're going to go away and uh, or they're gonna or they're going to um, try to um, or they're gonna Todd, try I, to I, fire uh, on the give me uh, yeah no I, I look I, it was pretty wild and you know you'd think this was much more of an operation that you'd think of uh, for the Green Berets or for a SEAL team or, or some type of, of military operation, 101st Airborne, than you would for the Texas Rangers um, and the Texas Department of Public Safety. I don't mean that by any disrespect. It's just military operations is not typically what they do. When I was down with Texas, uh, the Texas Rangers and uh, them on, on the Rio Grande, we were going up and down in one of their patrol boats, something I know you've done as well with 50 cal machine guns on the side. We were overwatched not by... Texas Department of Public Safety assets, not by their helicopters, but by the cartel's drones. And I'm wondering at some level that unless we're able to take the fight to the cartels inside of Mexico, uh, if it really matters. Well, listen, this particular island, it turns out, is U.S. territory. Uh, You can't have, at least you can't have cartels occupying U.S. territory unopposed. Uh, now, in fairness to Texas and even to the uh, Border Patrol, uh, both Mexico and the United States forgot who owned the island. They didn't know uh, until Texas very recently uh, did yeah, survey. Te- Texas took, con- t- 
took control of it and said, yeah, they got the survey and the certification. And then they then they went in. Todd, I know you've got to go. So I'm, I'm going to interrupt you just for your because I promised I'd get you out by 715. Uh, fantastic reporting. We're going to have you back as um, you continue down there on the border. Thank you. Thank you. You can read this whole story in the Daily Mail, by the way. Yeah, uh, da- DailyMail.com is where we is where we found it as well. Some great pictures, too. Thank you. Thank 50 you. years ago today, a combined Arab force nearly wiped Israel off the map. Sirens interrupted the holiest day on the Jewish calendar. Yom Kippur, 1973, on October 6th. Within a day or two, Syrian forces from the Golan Heights and Egyptians from the west squeezed Israel. Their surprise attack nearly overran the Israeli defense forces. The Israelis took heavy losses, both in terms of men, but also in terms of equipment, in battle after battle. Advisors told then-President Nixon to slow roll aid to Israel. He famously told the Pentagon to, quote, send everything that could fly. In the end, the Israelis ended up with more arms than they started with, more tanks, more weapons. The arguments around arming Israel then were much the same about arming Ukraine today. You see the two wars on the screen right now. The war in Israel, the Yom Kippur War, lasted 18 days. Ukraine's obviously lasted a lot longer. The Russians backed Egypt and Syria back then. American prestige was on the line. We are told in the coming days President Biden will deliver a major address about the war in Ukraine. He will likely argue for continuing a policy of giving the Ukrainians just enough to defend themselves, but not nearly enough to win. His policy toward Ukraine is almost a polar opposite of Nixon's with Israel 50 years ago. Senator Tom Cotton just wrote in National Review, presidential leadership matters, especially in war. While Nixon protected the dream that is Israel, Biden has prolonged the nightmare that is Russia's war on Ukraine. It's noteworthy that after Nixon's decisive action, the Soviet leader then, Leonard Brezhnev, backed down. The same thing President Biden says he wants Vladimir Putin to do. President Biden turns on the media and the American people over his lousy poll numbers. Is this 1980 all over again? It is a crisis of confidence. It is a crisis that strikes at the very heart and soul and spirit of our national will. The Army guts its special forces. This is our enemies pour money in to expand their own capabilities, especially China. Is there a strategy before about going soft? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There wasn't this little tail of extremism waving, you know, wagging the dog of the uh, Republican Party as it is today. Mm-hmm. And sadly, so many of those extremists, those mega extremists, um, take their marching orders from Donald Trump. Maybe there needs to be a formal deprogramming of the cult members. 
The only thing she forgot to do was call them deplorables. With us now, Scott Bolden, former chair of the D.C. Democratic Party, Niall Stanage, White House columnist with our partners at The Hill. Scott, come on. I knew you were going to start with me. I knew it. Let's go. Let's go. go. Let's get it on. Uh, what's wrong with what she said? She could have called them deplorables because she's no longer a presidential candidate. But listen, they're taking orders from someone who who directed January 6th, who believed in the big lie, who's facing 91 criminal felony charges, federal and state, and he's leading the Democratic, he's leading the GOP presidential nomination process at 55 or 60 percent of the mm-hmm. GOP vote. All now, of which, now, since you brought up the polling, okay, okay, yeah. Mark poll, Biden versus Trump on the issues. Who's better? Inflation, uh, Trump by 23 points. Creating jobs, Trump by 19 points. Immigration, uh, Trump by 34 points. I'm doing this math in my head. You guys should be impressed. Foreign policy, Trump by five points. Niall, is that sort of why we're hearing the attacks on Donald Trump personally versus on policy? Well, I think the fact of the matter is President Biden is lucky that his opponent is likely to be former President Trump because you see those massive differentials on the issues. But that very same poll, Leland, when asked in a head-to-head matchup, actually has President Biden leading among likely voters by about two or three points. So it's like an inverse of what used to happen with former President Obama. Obama was more popular personally than his policies. Trump is more disliked than his policies are, which is obviously good for Biden. Well, and that's the flip side, right, of Joe Biden, right? He's right. he is less liked than his, poli- you know, than his policies Well, I are. wouldn't say he's less liked. I would say that he just doesn't present well. He's older, ageism, and the voters, Democrats and Republicans, are charged him with that. But the bottom line is this. In any election, all you need is one more vote to the next guy. And the poll that you just mentioned, that poll matters most. He's leading Trump. It's not clear Trump's even going to be on the ballot, and the Dems ought to worry I, you, about you that. Think, you, think, you think that, it's, it's interesting you say that, you both guys sort of agree in terms of that it's good for Democrats to have Donald Trump on the ballot. Mm-hmm. It certainly is what motivated a lot of Democratic voters in 2022, even though he wasn't on the ballot. But President Biden now has sort of started to take this, I don't know, almost uh, sort of a little personally. We're going to play back Back to back, Senator uh, President Biden today talking about uh, poll numbers and some economic numbers next to Jimmy Carter uh, back in the 19, late 1970s, early 1980s, talking about essentially the same thing. Take a listen. You all are not the happiest people in the world. What's your report? And I mean it sincerely. It gets a more little, you get more legs when you're reporting something that's negative. You turn on the television and there's not a whole lot about boy saves dog as he swims in the lake, you know, to say, you know, it's about, you know, somebody pushed the dog in the lake. Confidence. It is a crisis that strikes at the very heart and soul and spirit of our national will. We can see this crisis in the growing doubt about the meaning of our own lives and in the loss of a unity of purpose for our nation. Now, history uh, rhymes. It doesn't repeat itself. 
This is true. You're quoting Seamus Heaney, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I mean, he's a guy from Ireland. I had to get in some poetry there. I, no, I, I guess the, my, my question, I, th- I think actually it, it may have been Mark Twain, but I, we digress. <laughs> my point being this. Is the White House starting to worry about just sort of where the American people are? Yeah. Here's where I think the comparison with Carter does come in to the detriment of President Biden. As I understand it, around the time Jimmy Carter gave that speech, the American people had basically stopped listening to him. They had decided that they didn't like his performance in office and it wasn't going to go well. Now, at the moment, the Democrats, or President Biden's campaign, I should say, has this huge campaign to try to boost his economic numbers. Those numbers aren't moving yet. And I think the fear in Democratic circles is, what if people have stopped listening. That's a problem. I'm going to give you your talking point and you're going to agree. You're going to tell me that it doesn't matter whether they listen if he's running against Donald Trump and that's how he beat Donald Trump in 2020. No, I'm not going to tell you that. Let me tell okay, you what you I'm going to tell you. Uh, I'm going to tell you that he's got a legislative record and Bidenomics, the numbers make all the sense. He's got something to run on. It's not even the messaging in my opinion. It is how he presents and whether the Dems and Republicans, when they see him, he is not inspiring and he's not selling that message and he's the chief seller, that's a problem. And they've got to change that and fix that. Because if Trump's on uh, on the ballot, then Biden's going to win because he's kind of baked in. And, and See, the now, now we're 30 seconds. Okay. <laughs> I got to run. Gentlemen, thank you very much. And another thing. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Catch you in the green room. The Wall Street Journal reports the U.S. military might have found a way to solve its recruiting crisis. Just shrink the army. As the real risk of war with Russia and China increases, the army wants fewer special forces, a.k.a. the tip of the spear. The recruiting crisis is real. For 2023, the army's 15,000 soldiers short of its 65,000 goal. Air Force, 3,000 short. Navy, 10,000 short. Only the Marines are expected to meet their goal. Here now, Florida Congressman, first Green Beret in Congress, Michael Waltz. Good to see you, sir. We appreciate it. Does this make any sense to you? No, Leland, I think this is, frankly, an asinine policy, and I'm going to fight it every step of the way. And here's why. You know, our special forces don't just kick in doors and go after the likes of Osama bin Laden and Baghdadi, although the global threat of terrorism is still out there and they're absolutely needed. Uh, They're in 60 to 70 countries anywhere in the world on any given day, and they're a key part of our soft power, especially with our competition with China. They are training foreign forces. They're doing civil affairs. They're digging wells in places like Honduras. They're, uh, They're allowing us to have presence in places like Palau, the Philippines, and what have you. And while one day we may be training, The next day, we may need a site for an anti-ship missile. And then finally, who has been in Ukraine since 2014? It's been Army Special Forces Green Berets that have been training them after the first Russian invasion. But now we're going to cut them back. You get more bang for the buck uh, in a fiscally constrained environment with these special operators uh, than anything else Mm. uh, in the military. And I I just don't know the army is thinking here it's confounding i i don't understand it you you know they say they want to grow big army meaning tanks and airborne and everything else but larger picture here uh we understand because the the the, the place that this would matter perhaps the most would be in a war with china or a war with russia we'll deal with china xi jinping and president biden may meet in san francisco uh next month um so far we've got no deliverables from the chinese uh to to 
sort of justify that or to incentivize that that meeting. I'm wondering, as somebody who's been warning about China for an awfully long time, even going back to the Obama administration, what do you think of that? Yeah, look, I mean, this is this is the essence of an appeasement strategy where you're just practically begging for meetings. You're giving concessions uh, for engagement. You're getting nothing in return, and you're having to give everything. And, Leo, and what it really speaks to is the old thinking of the Obama administration and even before then uh, that if we engage enough uh, that the Chinese will change their aims, change their goal, and, and change politically. Uh, and that is just the, the, since Chairman Xi, that is old thinking. Uh, he has mm. made it clear yeah. telling his yeah, well, country look, it, 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 before. Yeah, yeah, to be yeah. to be fair, it wasn't it wasn't only the Biden the Biden uh, the Obama administration that thought that. There's been other administrations that thought it with the the Chinese that they would change their ways and they never did. Going back uh, all the way to H. W. Bush and Tiananmen Square. In fairness, that dramatically cha- did change with the Trump administration. It was a sea change. Yeah, no, that's that. No, yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, it's a good point. Congressman, I apologize. I got I got to I got to run, but I appreciate it. Have a great weekend. We'll talk soon. Coming up, Ozempic and other weight loss drugs might mercifully kill the body positivity movement. Will doctors finally go back to telling patients they need to lose weight if they want to be healthy? Tonight on News Nation, he's facing court battles, and now Mike Lindell's lawyers want to quit because they say he owes them millions of dollars in legal fees. So is the MyPillow CEO broke? What he wants all America to know. Plus, Geraldo's here with reaction. Tonight on Cuomo. And Dan and his all-star panel tackle a jam-packed Newsweek. Speaker of the House McCarthy out. Blame the Democrats? Or was it a win for Matt Gates? The Taylor Swift effect on the NFL. And President Biden flips his stance on the border wall. The panel tells all on Dan Abrams Live tonight. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. Everywhere you look now, brands have changed, right? Nowhere is it more prevalent than Victoria's Secret. Out are the angels selling sex. In are the ambassadors selling body positivity. Dove Soap got criticized for their body positivity campaign. But now body positivity might be a thing of the past, much to the chagrin of NPR and The Atlantic. I try to be a body positive doctor. It's getting harder in the Ozempic age. That's NPR. Or The Atlantic, we told you about a few weeks ago. Ozempic for me, but not for thee. Could Ozempic derail the body positivity movement? The medical miracle could reverse our progress on accepting bodies of all sizes. In other words, the rich elite in Hollywood get Ozempic because they can pay for it out of pocket. Normal folks, well, just you should be proud to be fat. And your insurance company doesn't have to pay for Ozempic because it hurts body positivity. Dr. Sean Levy, assistant professor of surgery, Tulane University Medical Center, joins us now. I understand you you specialize in overweight and obesity treatment, so we, you're the expert here. Yeah. Do, now that we have this drug, right, um, is it time to sort of rethink body positivity and return to, hey, if you're overweight, it can be really dangerous for your health. Here's something that can help you. 
Yeah, I think, you know, this movement confused people in many different ways because there was this assumption that just because big is beautiful, big is also healthy. And that was the disconnect. Big, I mean, obesity has always been unhelpful. And it's really not about size. It's about health, at least from my perspective, when I treat this disease. And I think it kept people from going to the doctor because they felt like, okay, well, people accept me now. I no longer need to treat this disease. But it gets so confusing because you still need to treat it regardless of what you look like. It's just they shouldn't be connected, what you look like in treating disease. So how did this get confused? I mean, I, I, I hear you, and I think it's a fascinating yeah. way of looking at it. How did it get confused that some, somehow people were being told, hey, it's okay to be obese? Well, I mean, I think this goes back many, many generations as people with obesity have been judged for their size. I mean, people honestly are judged for their size no matter what size they are. You know, people with thinness are judged for being too thin. But I think because obesity is so prevalent, people with obesity are judged even more. And, you know, I think people with a disease are, are frankly sick of being judged. And we're like, hey, we're still human beings. We deserve to have all the rights of everybody else. And therefore, you know, we just want to say there's healthy at every size. There's beauty every every size. Hmm. Stop judging us. And I think that when that movement came forward, people confused beauty with health and they thought the messaging was because I'm this size I'm also beautiful and healthy when beautiful sure not debating that but healthy is different yeah we we heard for so long even though the doctors were told not to tell people to lose weight even though it would help even though it would save you money and increase your life expectancy and your life enjoyment and all these things doctors were told hey, don't say that because it's going to offend people or hurt their feelings is that changing too now that you have this drug i think to some degree but i agree with you that there's a huge lag when it comes to primary care physicians and referring providers to talk about treatment options when it comes to obesity. I mean, I've had doctors say to my face, I don't want to talk about this. I don't know how to bring it up and I don't want to offend my patients. But, you know, is it offensive to tell somebody they have cancer? Is it offensive to tell somebody to stop smoking? I mean, obesity should be no different. It really is not an offensive topic. You're just Mm. there to advocate for their health. Fascinating. Uh, Doc, I appreciate your, uh, your honesty, and I know there's a lot of patients who do uh, as well. Thank you. It's good to see you. We'll have you back. We appreciate it. Lawyers okay. for the, Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Lawyers for the MyPillow CEO, Mike Lindell, says he won't pay their bills. Mike Lindell responds and tells us why he's doubling down on his wild claims. Attorneys for Lindell claim he is months behind yeah. on paying their legal bills. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. 
Poor Mr. Pillow. I know. You know, he didn't learn the lesson that my grandfather told me. He what said, Joey, if you're going to start a business mm-hmm. selling lumpy pillows. You shouldn't sell lumpy pillows. He said, no, but my granddad said, but if you are. Yeah. said, just make sure at the same time you don't spread a lot of conspiracy theories. Right. And try to do your part to overturn American democracy. It's a bad mix. That's Morning Joe this morning, gleeful at the plight of the My Pillow guy, Mike Lindell's attorney, says he owes the millions in legal fees of three defamation cases. Voting machine companies sued Lindell after his claims that Smartmatic and Dominion voting systems rigged the 2020 election. Mike Lindell joins Brian Enton, who is in for Cuomo tonight. Interview just wrapped. Uh, Lindell's still at it, right? Yeah, he is. And I I mean, I disagree with those hosts, by the way, because I actually like the pillow. And I was clear with Mike about that as a side sleeper. I do not help in the interview. I do not think it's lumpy. Uh, No, he's very, very intense right now. Um, he, he's not backing down from a lot of the claims that he's been making for a long time. At least he wasn't with us. And, and he said his legal bills were, um, two, two million dollars a month. That's what they had stacked up at. And he, he says he cannot pay them and that he says he's broke. I mean, he said he has no money that my pillow is its own company and is still doing okay. He was very serious about that. Uh, but that he has absolutely no money left, which was interesting. Remember we had the private plane, he had that fancy plane. It's crazy that, that, that could now be the case. I'm wondering, and I, I asked this genuinely, if he thinks it's all worth it. Well, I asked him that, and he said yes. Um, he hmm. said he does think it's worth it. I asked him, you know, look, your, your pillows were popular. Like, should you have done pillows in politics? Like, why not just keep the bi- do your business? You know, he, he was a rags-to-riches guy. He had an amazing story. Uh, you know, yeah. a, a successful businessman. Um, overcame addiction, all of it. Was it all worth it? And, and he said yes. He doesn't look at it as politics, um, he looks at it as, you know, he's really standing up for what's right. Um, and, and he's, you know, he still believes that to this day. Hmm. Interesting. All right. So that's coming up at the top of the hour. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to watch it because some, somehow he has taken on this unique spot in sort of the American political conversation yeah. as a guy who and, and, was selling was selling pillows just a few years ago. Um, I'm a little jealous, though, Brian, not because of the Lindell interview. Congratulations on that. But because of your UFO special, you interviewed the guy who is the world's leading reporter, really um, works for a television station out, uh, station out in Las Vegas about uh, UFOs and, and what he's found out there over years and years and years, decades in Las Vegas. I tried to get the interview for a long time. So that's coming up on Sunday night, right? Yeah, it was hard. I tried for a long time, too. I mean, it was probably one of the hardest interviews I've ever had to get. I mean, I really had to push. We ended up getting all of his archives for the last um, 30, 40 years. So we're really looking forward to the special wow. Sunday night. Yeah. Yeah, Sunday night. Hey, huge congratulations. It's going to be really interesting. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to see it. It's going to be a Thanks, lot of fun. Leland. So, Brian, congratulations. Have a great show coming up. Uh, Brian is in for Cuomo, as you heard with Mike Lindell. A, a lot of really important questions in that interview. When we come back, President Trump goes back to court in New York Tuesday. It's going to be week two of his civil trial. And keen observers will note, and this is something to watch. You see there the New York Attorney General, the judge, and Donald Trump. What the body language of everybody in court will show us and tell us. This is a continuation of the single greatest witch hunt of all time. We have a judge.
this case should be dismissed. This is not a case. And she should probably be dismissed also because she's terrible and grossly incompetent. Her numbers are fraudulent. She's a fraud. Her numbers are fraudulent. And this case should be dismissed. You never really have to think what Donald Trump is thinking because he'll tell you. Civil trial, civil fraud trial continues next week. Body language expert Patty Wood is with us, not so much for what was said, but how it was said. Patty, when I watch that, he seems so very different than he did in 2016. You're spot on. And look at his, he's doing his normal accordion hands, it looks like, but I know that typically he held them further away and had space underneath his arms. The gestures were larger. The compression holding his arms closer to his body and having that accordion movement be smaller indicates a lack of confidence. He's pushing to make his statements. He repeats the statements, but the gestures don't really go with what he's saying. That's an advantage of the accordion hands for him in some respects because it's what he does quite often. But it actually makes us feel like something's not quite right. He's not quite on his normal game. Lahita James, uh, look, he's always used to being on the ta- attack, not on the de- defensive as he is now right. um, in these cases. Lahita James is the uh, prosecutor uh, in New York, the attorney general who, who's involved in all of these cases. Take a listen to her at one of the press conferences. The law is both powerful and fragile, and today in court, we will prove our case. I thank you all for being here, and again, justice will prevail. Thoughts? Very confident delivery. I loved watching her in the courtroom. There's some great footage in the courtroom where she actually orients her body. She's seated behind him, but she orients her body towards him and does a side glare. And very fast. Oh, there it is. Look at the the way she's holding her hands. That is a suppressed desire to fight. There's a fist, a clasp hand, and she's holding it tight to her body. I want to fight. I'm ready to fight, but I'm holding myself back right now. All of that's fascinating. Look, she she knew she was going to be on camera, and obviously Donald Trump knew he was going to be on camera there as he's sitting there. We'll break down Trump in a second. How much do you make of whether or not Trump and, and James sort of practice this, right, especially in terms of sort of how she was going to look? Because they both knew there was going to be this moment in the courtroom with cameras before the trial started. I'm sure she prepared, but most of it, I bet, was preparation not to show everything that she feels. And the way it's just a slight side look and that she's suppressing her desire to fight shows me that she's trying to keep it in, but she doesn't want to keep it all the way in. She wants to put him a little bit on edge. I'm watching you. I'm looking at you. Hmm. Interesting. Um, There's been a lot made of the judge here. We're going to play what Donald Trump said about the judge, and then we're going to show you the video of the judge uh, when when he realized the camera was looking at him on camera. Take a listen. This is a continuation of the single greatest witch hunt of all time. We have a rogue judge. Donald Trump calls a rogue judge uh, there when the camera kind of caught him before the trial began. What do you make of sort of the smile and the taking off of the glasses? 
I've got to tell you, it's highly unusual. It's fascinating to me, particularly because I train judges for courtroom decorum. Um, Interesting. It tells me that he is gleeful and feels like things are going to go the court's way. Um, I found it really particularly interesting when he took off his glasses, like, I'm going to look good right here. But he is really confident. That's fascinating, and I'm sure yeah. that would be very unnerving as the defendant. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're the judge, you should be confident because you get to kind of decide how things go. And, and given, um, it seems, uh, how he feels about things, if you're Donald Trump, that's not necessarily But, but typically thing. the judge masks, the judge keeps it yeah. all in. So to, to, to show that happiness, really joyful, jubilant body language, that's so interesting. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, would you go as far as to say rogue? I well, rogue it implies that it's unusual or out of the norm. So I I can I could go with that. I it's hmm. not. Um, wow. I, I can't say that it's going to affect the case because it's not showing a preference necessarily. It's just showing happy confidence. Yeah, well, he, he's known as he's made his feelings known in the past. So um, there you go, Patty. Hey, it's good to see you as always. Have a great weekend. Thank you for joining us. Uh, let us know what you think at home of the body language of the judge, of the attorney general, and of Donald Trump himself. All at Leland Vittert on Twitter and Instagram. Any other thoughts about the show from this week as well there? And we'll read some of the best. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.